Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Just before we jump into the episode this week, I wanted to share a little bit about the Thrive community that I run. It's a place where many like-minded women go to connect and share their experience with getting and staying successfully sober. There are different sections like the main Thrive community feed where people post about things that are up and coming or about challenges they're facing and they get incredible support from other members of the group. It really is a special, special place to be right now. There are also sections to share your milestones because every win, even the really small ones, are a big thing to celebrate and we acknowledge that. There are five events, there are the weekly Zoom recordings, so you can go back and see all the weekly Zoom meetings and all the topics that have been covered in those meetings at your own leisure. There's a share sober tips section and then there are group chats for the first 30 days, the first 100 days, the first year and over a year. There's a knowledge hub as well. And in the knowledge hub, you'll find a place for books and book recommendations. There's a section of how to survive the first 30 days. So if you come in completely brand new to getting sober, you can hit the ground running and find tools and information to get a structure set up for yourself from the outset. There's also my Thrive Sober program, there's a toolkit, there's understanding the brain science and a space to read and learn about all the topics under emotional sobriety, most of which have been written by myself. So come into Thrive. If you're thinking about it or you're lacking community, I would say just jump in and go for it and maybe we'll see you in there soon. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm chatting with Rich who's in Leeds and he's been sober about 20 months and we were both talking about we are very hot, <laughs> um, temperature-wise, obviously. We are very hot uh, <laughs> because it's, it is, you know, the mini heat wave that is in this early autumn phase and uh it's about 30 degrees he's in a car in a car park and I'm in a very hot kitchen but you know we're excited to get into the story so thanks so much for joining me today Rich yeah no problem it's nice for the the summer to come back just as the kids go back to school (laughs) and we're going into autumn isn't it (laughs) yeah I'm so glad that I went to Paulton's Park you know in ponchos in the rain and I had loads of (laughs) Not terrible camping trips, but not with this weather, you know, just it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. typical, isn't it? Typical British weather. Um, So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself before we dive into your story? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So obviously mine's Rich. Um, I live in Leeds. I'm not originally from Leeds, though. I'm I'm actually a southerner, um, but I migrated up to Leeds in 1999 to go to university and just stayed ever since. I'm, I'm originally from Canterbury in Kent. 
Um, so closer to France than it is to London, actually. And uh, it's a lovely place to grow up, Canterbury. Um, loads of history, um, you know, really good schools, really great upbringing. But, you know, it's a great place to grow up and it's a great place to retire into. But sort of anything in the middle, perhaps, it's it's not got so much to, to offer. But when I, when I went to, when I had the choice to go to uni, it was, it was funny because it was a choice of, um, you know, my, my decisions were formed around how far away I could get from my parents. That wasn't sort of Scot Scotland, um, and uh, yeah, Leeds was was at the time a really sort of growing, you know, great vibes city. It still is in very many many ways. And uh, the irony is now that I've got young children, you know, I'd rather be closer to my parents to help with childcare and things like that. So uh, yeah, it's funny how things change. I know, isn't it just? Um, Leeds is a cool place, though, isn't it? I've been a few times shopping. We've got good shopping there in Leeds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, big university scene. I can imagine it'd be really enticing as a teenager yeah. going up and, and studying up there. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's a big part of your story as well. So so that'll be cool to get get into that. So yeah, with that in mind then, why don't you take us back to the beginning and describe your life with alcohol? Yeah, well, I suppose it's not. It's probably going to be quite similar to a lot of um, a lot of people in many ways. That if you like the sort of the middle lane drinkers, like the grey area drinkers, the vast vast majority of society in, in the UK. Um, you know, I started drinking as many of us do at a fairly young age. Um, you know, parents that would would. I wouldn't say that they were ridiculously heavy drinkers. I think my dad went through a phase where he was drinking a bottle of wine like quite regularly on an evening, which now being sober, you look back on, you think, Christ, that's a lot. But at the time, I don't think you probably do. And probably not, you know, certainly not back then in the 70s, the 80s and the 90s. It probably wasn't perceived to be a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I, I started drinking probably when I was 13, 14, I think. I was always quite sporty at school. So I always find myself around the sort of the sports teams, um, both in school, but then also outside of school. I played for like my local cricket and hockey club. Um, my dad played for them as well. So even from a young age, I would, on a Saturday afternoon, I would sort of, you know, tag along with him to, um, you know, to hockey on a Saturday afternoon. And, you know, he would, that, those are probably my early exposure experiences to alcohol, you know, being in the sort of the clubhouse after the game you know, the team having the beers afterwards and having their tea and being around alcohol from quite a long, young age, really. And, and I suppose those are, you know, when I look back on some of those experiences, I think that's when a lot of our behaviours and habits are formed, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. you know, my, I guess my views and perceptions of alcohol were, um, were formulated from a very young age around those experiences so sort of the normalization of it forming part of you know day-to-day life you know that the end of a game the end of a hockey match or a cricket match it was then you'd go into the bar and you'd have beers afterwards so you know when I then started playing in um you know in teams myself in sports especially outside of school because often I was playing with older people you know people who have legal drinking age but you'd still get bought those beers afterwards so you know I'd be 16, 17, playing in, you know, sort of, you know, older teams, um, local clubs, sports teams. And, and, you know, I would be, you know, the normal thing would be to, to join in with the, the drinking of the beer. And, you know, the other things which became normal along that was, you know, doing the sort of the, the, um, the funnels and, you know, like the jugs of beer that would go round and all of that kind of stuff that was, 
you know, and still is in many ways, sort of celebrated within, you know, the sort of the sporting environment, especially at a, a sort of a, an amateur level, if you like. Obviously, not so much at professional sport level because um, they take it a lot more seriously these days. But yeah, and then I think just growing up through school, you know, me and my mates, we would, you know, from sort of 16, 17, it would really be sort of living for the weekend. You know, you'd get through school and, you know, Friday night would come and it's like, right, what are we up to? Where are we off to? You know, you're literally out on the town as, you know, go home, get changed, drop your bag off, say hello to your parents and get out into town as soon as you could really. And, you know, it would all revolve around, you know, getting getting drunk as quickly as possible really and that would start with you know cans of super tenants and Carlsberg export in the the graveyard gardens outside the pub just to get a head start because we didn't have a lot of money to spend but you know a couple of quid and a couple of cans would would sort of start us off really early and uh you know we would we would inevitably get fairly pissed on a Friday night you know that was at the age where you deal with hangovers pretty well and then the, the Saturday would be a start with a hangover but you'd quickly you know you'd be out and about playing football or out with your mates and then Saturday would be the same sort of thing and you know you'd, you'd sort of eat sleep and repeat it the following weekend so and I think that just that just became the norm for many years for me and then that rolled into you know leaving school I took a year out before before I went to university, um, I worked in a bar. So I think that's where my relationship with alcohol really became quite heavily ingrained, not least as a consumer, but then that also led into my career, funnily enough. And I suppose that's where my my story is is different or interesting in some ways, you know, other uh, versus others, in the sense that I then went into a sort of a long-term career within hospitality primarily but then also in in terms of selling alcohol as well so um so yeah so taking a year out working in the bar saving some money went traveling had a great time you know travel around the planet you know obviously every single day of that experience involved alcohol and often other things as well which again in hindsight I look back and think Christ that was really bloody stupid at times you know especially when you hear stories of people who have come a cropper in places like Thailand and Indonesia and things like that for, for those sort of behaviors. So, but you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And, uh, mm. and uh, especially when, especially when you're alcohol free and you, you, you've got, you know, 20 months of sobriety to, to reflect on. Um, and then when I went to uni, it, it just, yeah, it, it was just, I guess that, that, that drinking habit, that association relationship with, with alcohol was already firmly ingrained in me and, and, you know, you get there and, and you're in the bar within minutes of going to your halls of residence and everything revolves around, revolves around drinking. You know, mm-hmm. it's the, um, you know, it's the, it's the, the sports matches. It's midweek. It's at the weekends. It's, it's everything. All of the back then, especially at the end of the nineties, beginnings of the two thousands, you know, everything from a social perspective revolved around alcohol. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and it just, it, that, that's, I think that's probably where, when I reflect on it, I reckon that's probably where my negative relationships with alcohol started. Although at the time there was absolutely no way I realized it. And it probably took me a good 10 years through my twenties to, to, to even start to question things. Um, but just, yeah, every weekend, you know, drinking regularly, binge drinking and, and then, having gone through uni and dropping out twice going into working in hospitality again it was then into a into a career that is 
basically promoting and selling and and sort of glorifying really drinking in many ways you know you're then the peddler of the thing you know the, you're, the, you're the marketeer you're the salesperson you're you're encouraging people to have a drink you're you're serving people that this um this thing that that is perceived to be the you know the golden chalice of of, of fun and 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 you know what you know socializing revolves around so you know i i, I went into um my career within hospitality and 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 what what often happens with people who work in hospitality, you don't plan to go into that career. You fall into it, but when you fall into it, you stay in it for a long time because you do form really really close bonds, and it is a fantastic industry to work in. And I would never say anything against it, you know. And I still believe that. I think there is still a the hospitality industry is going through a, a tough time at the moment. It did do through COVID and it is doing now. And I think it needs to evolve, especially with the um the growth in in, in alcohol free and, and people changing their their you know their sort of lifestyles more so now. Um but I think it has such an important role to play in our lives in terms of connection. And connection is one of those things which you'll know as well as I do when we go alcohol free all of a sudden connection becomes even more important than it ever was before, partly because often our closest group of mates, we come a little bit disassociated from because they're still drinking. So you, I certainly found a sort of a separation from some of those historic relationships. But then the the real visceral deep down connections that you then start making with other people outside of your immediate circle of friends you know, with this new sort of, you know, connection to, to other alcohol free people, which we sort of end up actively seeking out. So, so yeah, so my twenties were, were ingrained in alcohol, not just as a consumer, but also in terms of my, my job, my career. Mm. And, and then into, you know, well into my thirties as well, that the, the career I had working in bars then moved into a, a period within recruitment, recruiting people f- to work in bars which then moved into a career in sales, selling alcohol. So I remember getting the offer letter, vividly remember getting the offer letter for my first sales job within the alcohol industry. It was on my 30th birthday because myself and my my now wife, my girlfriend at the time, we'd both met at the recruitment company that we worked at. We both got made redundant around the same time. It was in the credit country at the end of 2008, just before Christmas. A really great time to get made redundant when you both lose your job just before Christmas. And um we lived together and I remember we were really sort of, you know, trying to, trying to scrape things together. We didn't have a lot of money. It was our first house to get, first flat together. And I remember getting this offer letter through for this job, which was like my, my sort of dream job at the time, getting this offer letter through my 30th birthday and thinking, yeah, you know, I've made it. This is it. New career, new start. It was brilliant. And that was where my, the next sort of 12, I guess, 10 or 11 years certainly panned out really in terms of my, career in alcohol sales and then you know really really wrapping myself up in in the alcohol industry and it it essentially became my identity mm. you know and, and when I said my identity it was it was not a separation from it you know I'd get up in the morning and I'd go to work and going to work I mean going and talking to people about alcohol going and training people on alcohol training people how to sell it how to talk about it how to understand how it's manufactured what the ingredients that go into it all of these kind of things that that went into my everyday work life. Um, but then at the same time, outside of work, you know, you finish work and you go to the pub, you go and drink alcohol as a consumer. So alcohol was literally my identity for this period. And um, 
again in hindsight really easy to look back now and i think i think i just started to fall out of love with it towards the the back end of my 30s as much as i loved the people and i loved the industry and and i think now i've got quite a nuanced view of alcohol in the sense that i've experienced it from from the the side of the the producers the manufacturers the brands the the people that are pushing this as essentially what is fundamentally a poison but you know in our society in the uk especially it's it's wrapped up with some of the other marketing bs that we see you know whether it's got in a gold bottle or unicorn tears glitter sprinkled in it whatever it is i got to a point where i just felt like this wasn't for me and I think also having kids, you know, when my son came along in 2014, my first child, it's not conducive to having children around in the house, hungover, um, grumpy, tired, miserable, lack of energy. That is not, uh, that is not a good parenting approach. And, and essentially that's what alcohol became. And, and I then started kind of, I guess, to go through this, this, um, cycle of drinking less. So that my to- then my tolerance was going down and my tolerance went down. So I wanted to drink less. I drank less. My tolerance went down. So, so it kind of went like that to the point where I got to my mid to late thirties. And even after a couple of beers, I would a not be in control, feel really uncomfortable with that experience. B, I would end up waking up in the middle of the night. I need to go to the toilet and, 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 and be with this feeling like someone sat on my chest, this feeling of anxiety, heart palpitations. And just thinking, Christ, this is not an enjoyable experience. Um, and just, yeah, I just got to the point where I was like, well, this isn't serving me in any way, shape or form. So kind of new, I think for many years, I was battling with this, this, this kind of concept in my head that the thing that I was selling and promoting my long term successful career that I'd thrown myself into and I'd put everything into thinking that this is what I was going to do for life. This is what was going to give me opportunity and career and success going forward. Trying to grapple and come to terms with the idea that actually that was no longer the case, but I had no, I had nothing else that I knew what to do. This was all I knew what to do. Mm-hmm. So it took me a couple of years. And I think that I think the pandemic was probably the thing that really changed it for me in terms of my relationship coming out of the pandemic, um, not being in a great space at all in terms of my own mental health, my own mental fitness, recognizing that, recognizing I needed to make some changes. I needed to get, get some professional help as well in many ways. Um, making a decision to stop drinking whilst I was still working in the alcohol industry, what I had for many years perceived to be my dream job. Um, thinking I could do it at first, thinking, you know, if someone said to you, you can't do that job if you don't drink. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to say that is, you know, mm-hmm. in any other career. But the reality was, as it went on, and I kind of realized that actually the, the, what I'd initially said to people, and I use this as an excuse because how weird is this that we feel we need to give people an excuse why we're not drinking? But I said to people that I'm not drinking because I'm training for a big, um, half Ironman event in, in July of 2020. 2022 to last year and I said I'm going to take six months off to train for that event and that was the excuse I used the reality was actually I knew that it was being detrimental to my own physical and mental health but I didn't tell people that I was embarrassed to tell people that and that is looking back on it that is such a weird thing to think and 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 now I sort of see it now from from outside I see other people that that battle with 
with those kind of thoughts and feelings. And, um, you know, it took me it, within two or three months, I realized actually this was in conflict to what my new kind of values were. And I felt like a hypocrite, you know, on one hand, I was actively distancing myself from the thing that I was meant to be promoting and selling, you know, and, and, and then I kind of went through again, this sort of crisis of identity, right? Okay. Shit. What does this look like? If I'm not going to do, I'm going to walk away from a 20 plus year successful career, which is well paid, good prospects, good company, good business, people I like, um, you know, mouths to feed, responsibilities at home, mortgage to pay, bills to pay. Now, am I really now in my mid, almost coming into my early 40s? Am I now about to walk away from this long term career that I've created for myself, this identity? Without really knowing what I wanted to do, I knew what I didn't want to do anymore, and that was sell booze. And and I did, and I just said I, I put my my own mental fitness first, um, and I knew I had to, and and kind of came away from it just over a year ago now, and um, it was the best decision I could have ever made for myself. I didn't realise at the time, but it 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 was the start of a period of twelve months or so, of really sort of transformational change within my life, and. Um, it was difficult. It was difficult breaking away from that, not least the relationships that I, that I had, um, you know, the memories that I had, the, the successes that I'd had, all those kind of things that we, you know, we, we sort of put on a pedestal. Um, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And I found a job that was not something that I was interested in, in particularly at all in terms of, um, the sort of the product, if you like. It was a sale, different sales job and a different industry. But it was well paid. It was a good opportunity. And, and I, and I took it. I thought, you know, if it's a compromise I've got to make in terms of the product, I can get into that. In the end, it didn't work out. Did it for two months. I wasn't right for them. They weren't right for me. We both knew that. And I remember walking in. It was actually probably about a year ago, pretty much to the day now, I reckon. I have, I'll have to go back and check, but I would say it's probably about to the day, I reckon. And I remember walking into my line manager's office and he's a good friend of mine now. We got on really well. Um, and I knew deep down inside that things weren't going great and, and I wasn't particularly engaged with the job. And, and, you know, I probably, for that reason, I probably wasn't delivering what they were expecting. Um, and I thought I could just tread water for six months whilst I kind of sorted something else out. And I'd already had this idea for, for, my own which i'll come to in a minute at that point but sat down and he just looked at me and it was my three-month appraisal and he just sat down and he said look this probably isn't going to go the way you're expecting it to we're not going to renew your contract we're going to let you go as of today and i sat there for a few seconds and i just thought and i looked at him and i said thank you and he looked at me and he said what do you mean i said well you've given me the opportunity the catalyst to do something which I've kind of been thinking about and I'm an hour and about and it's something that I've wanted to do for many years and something that I've up, only up until recently never had the, the self-belief and the, the, the guts and the confidence and the focus and the clarity to do that, which is all the things that going alcohol free have given me. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to start my own business. And he was like, well, fair play, you know, good, good luck to you. If there's anything I can help you with, then, then let me know. And, and that's, that's, that's what started. That's what happened then. And so, I'd already going back a little bit. I'd already had this idea last summer for originally it was going to be a book. Um, sat in the car with my wife and I said, I'm going to write a book about my experience of going alcohol free from working in the alcohol industry for 20 years. She's like, all right. Okay. It's interesting. Doesn't sound like a, a particularly lucrative career option, but 
and uh, the book the book was good. I was going to call the, the book Clean Break, My Messy Divorce from Alcohol. Anyway, I decided that writing a book probably wasn't a sustainable income. But I thought, actually, I really like the name Clean Break. There's something in that. And then I went with the my NLP coach who I'd worked with at the start of last year who helped me re, um, uh, reconfigure some of my limiting self-beliefs. I went on a weekend retreat with him and some other guys. And we worked through loads of things from you know, goal setting to yoga to meditation to breath work to removing limiting beliefs. And I basically at that point came up with this idea that Clean Break was going to be an alcohol-free beer brand. And then that happened. At the same time, we just remortgaged the house. So it was almost like all the stars aligned. I was like, right, this is it. So a couple of quite frank and honest conversations with my wife. And then it was right, let's crack on, let's do this. So I'm going to use my 20 plus year experience and knowledge and contacts to put to good use by creating my own alcohol-free beer brand. So that's where Clean Break was founded. And so now we are a year on. This is where this is what I'm doing. Amazing. That's so cool. So your products are already in the market, are they? The clean break products. Yeah. It's one it's one product, yeah. It's a pale ale. So um I've started with what's called Monoskew. Um that launched officially at the beginning of June. So we're just over three months old as a brand. Um and clean break is is really early doors in the, the life cycle of the brand and it's it's tough, it's hard work, it's a growing category, but it's also a very competitive category. Yeah. Um but I, I love it. The people within the alcohol free category are so friendly, so supportive. Um eighty percent of my consumer base is still people that are people that still drink though. So, you know, it's not just focused on the alcohol free community. Um, planning to launch a lager in January as well. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's, it's bloody daunting. Working for yourself is like, you know, you just think, God, why did I ever give up the security of having a job, a career, bonuses, benefits, company car, pension, all of this kind of stuff to chase this weird and wonderful dream, which, you know, is bloody hard work and it's scary because you don't, sometimes you don't know when the next paycheck is going to come from and whether you're going to be able to pay the mortgage or the bills each month. But, you know, for the first time in my life, in, in God knows how I can remember, I feel like I'm doing something that has meaning and purpose to it, which, you know, I think historically I was giving meaning and purpose to totally the wrong things in my life. You know, the perception that alcohol was the thing that was going to give me a, because it was going to give me this career that I was desiring was, was just the complete opposite. It's only now when I look back, it was the thing that was holding me back Yeah. because the stuff I've done in the last 12 months I've achieved more in the last 12 months than I had done probably in the, in the 12 years prior to that. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I think that's what an awesome transition. And I really relate to that about purpose as well. I think that there's something to be said for purpose. It's like this podcast, the purpose that it gives me, like the reach that it has, the people that it helps, getting to talk to people like you and just getting messages every day from people that are, it's helping them to get sober. It, it's amazing. And it's hard to replace that. You know, you can have, you know, all the different jobs, but it's like to find that purpose is so, it's just so rewarding to have that in your life. And obviously if you can make that a career as well, then even better. Um, I like what you said as well. I do think that it's interesting. I don't know whether you've had this yourself, probably you have, um, but 
certainly last few years that I've been on Instagram, there have been people that work or have worked in the alcohol industry that are really conflicted because they have gone through that same transition that you went through, which is like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't believe in this anymore. Mm. I don't feel the same way about this product like I did. You know, I've changed. Um, and But I work in the alcohol industry, and how does that yeah. work? And I, I, I've definitely had conversations with people where that's been a challenge and maybe people listening to this now might even be in that boat so hopefully they'll take some real inspiration from this and I think as well it was funny when you said about um and I can understand completely you know working in the alcohol industry that pressure that expectation that you drink you know you 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 have to drink but I was thinking that you know I think a lot of that also exists in a lot of industries and I know for sure that there are people that certainly in the last kind of 20 30 years that the expectation that they will drink with clients or that you know especially in sales that they will wine and dine big clients to win contracts you know or you know like lawyers and all these different industries the pressure for them to drink is really intense and if they don't drink I I know people that have been kind of cut out of (laughs) work groups or that you know have actually they think that they've been kind of cut out of the company. And I think a lot of that might be just because they don't want to conform. I mean, I suppose for you working in the alcohol industry, when you made, when you started to connect the dots around not wanting to drink yourself or getting fed up or not wanting to maybe work in the industry, I can imagine that that was probably a really tough time for you. Um, it was really conflicting. Yeah. Because, you know, because as I said before, it was this, this 20 plus year career, which I'd, you know, I'd, I'd made decisions through that, that 20 years, which were all based around me progressing my career and moving to the next stage and what was going to be the most logical, rational, objective route that I could go down to give me the next pay rise, the next opportunity to earn more money um, or to get a better job or take on more responsibility. And it was all wrapped around essentially selling selling alcohol. So for then me to find myself really conflicted with the, the the product that was selling and to the point whereby you know I actually moved away from it as a consumer was just like oh wow okay this is really really uncomfortable what what the hell do I do this and do you know what funny enough one thing that I have relished and has been so liberating in the last 12 months since I kind of almost surrendered to 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 the to the idea of 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 moving away from from that career and and, and accepted that you know, you can't control everything in life. You know, the only really things that you can control in your life really 100% are your thoughts or your beliefs and your actions. Everything else to some degree is out of your control. And if you can surrender to that idea, it's really liberating. And for me, I've switched my mindset now during this process from that, that approach of making decisions logically, practically, everything driven by what my mind tells me to Actually, everything that I've done now with the beer has been what feels right in my heart. What What is my gut instinct telling me? You know, and it's served me right so far. And actually, it's a much more um, it's a much more enjoyable way to live life because it's less stressful. You go with the flow more. You know, you're more instinctive. Mm. You know, it's 
you, you think you don't overthink things so much. It's like, oh, this feels right. Oh, having that conversation with that person feels like the right thing to do. Well, I'm going to explore that and see where that goes. And if you can just, you know, almost sort of surrender to that idea that you can't control everything and, and, and you're almost sort of surrendering to life and, 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 and the fact that, you know, life will be what it is and, and the journey it will take you. So I'm getting a bit deep now, but I think that's sometimes what happens. No, with the just, I, I completely you know? relate to everything you're saying. I think what you're, I, yeah, I 100% relate to what you're saying. So we, you go as deep as you like. <laughs> yeah, so no, it is. That, that's been a really liber- liberating thing for me. And, and mm. you know, I've, I've, I've started doing so many different things and, and you will have found this, I'm sure as well, Terry, one of the the, the, the best things we get from going alcohol free is time the amount of time we get back and I've just found that that time combined with the the level of clarity focus the quality of sleep that I get the energy that I have the determination that I have the self-belief that and the confidence that I now have the willingness to try other things which has changed from the fear of failure now to the fear of missing out if I don't try something that could be really exciting, sod it whether it works out or not. I just want to try it. So that combination has led me to doing so many different things. Mm. Like I started my own alcohol-free podcast, which I put on hold for the summer just because of kids and mayhem. Mm. Um, I will go back to it at some point. Um, I'm training, I'm doing a diploma in coaching and positive psychology. So again, you talked about helping other people within the drinks industry. Quite a few of my old colleagues have reached out to me and said, I want, I've seen what you've done. I've followed your story a bit. I want to reframe my relationship with alcohol, not necessarily go completely sober, but, you know, have a better, more healthy relationship with alcohol. So I'm hoping to use that. I've started running ultra marathons and now I've started coaching people to do other marathons as well. I've started my own alcohol-free beer brand it's you know all this stuff that I've taken on which don't get me wrong it's absolute mayhem life is like a million miles an hour and people say how do you manage it and I manage it because I've got this time I've got this energy I've got this clarity when my head hits the pillow I go to sleep and I sleep for you know six and a half seven hours seven and a half hours without waking up in the middle of the night you know and and I'm wide awake at half five in the morning ready to go ready to tackle the day and by immersing myself in podcasts like your own, you know, other sort of podcasts around positive psychology and, and, and all the positive things and, and moving away from, you know, the, the sort of the, the negativity around, you know, watching the news or listening to the news on the radio or reading newspapers. It's just like, I, I don't bother doing that anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because it's also bloody negative, you know, mm-hmm. like if you can, if you can get away from that and immerse yourself in all these positive things. And that's the biggest piece of, I get one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give to people who are starting out on an alcohol-free journey and maybe kind of grappling with it, the challenge of it. Is it right for them? What are they doing? Is this me forever? Immerse yourself in whether it's Quitlet or whether it's podcasts. Just find them, seek them out because you will find connection with people who, even if you're just listening to them speak on a podcast, the idea of listening to someone I find, especially on my runs, when I'm listening to other people like yourself, like Kate and Steph, like Daniel O'Reilly on Dapper's podcast, like Sober Dave, listening to the way that they talk, knowing that they and their guests have gone through and are going through exactly the same experiences as me, just gives you that sense of connection. Even if it's mm-hmm. not direct physical connection, there's a yeah. spiritual connection with those people. And for me, that that's that's been one of the, the, the best and, and the, the best advice I could give to people, I think. 
Yeah, it's so healing, isn't it? It's so healing, I think, listening to other people's experiences. And when people can be honest, I think, about their experience and then share it, I I just think that can really touch so many people. And I think that there is this collective healing in all of these podcasts and books and stories and communities and you know it's okay to get fed up of drinking it's and and actually I always think you know we talk a lot about drinking because that's our lives that's our experience that's what this podcast is about but you know it could be gambling or it could be food or it could be over scrolling on your phone you know these are all behaviors that are people do to try and feel better essentially in life um and I think going back to what you were saying, I, um, I, I really resonate with what you were saying. And I really, I really liked what you were saying when you were talking about going really deep. But I, it kind of came to me, essentially, it's like you, you, you learn how to take responsibility. First of all, you care about it because you're awake. So you wake up from like the booze fog. You get that yeah. clarity. You feel more rested. You realize you've got all this time. And it's like, right. How can I assess what's going on? Let me take stock of my life, what I'm doing, what I think I'm capable of, and how can I expand that? And it's about taking responsibility for your universe, not just the external universe, but your internal universe. And I agree completely with you. Before I stopped drinking, I used to suffer regularly from things like imposter syndrome, not feeling good enough, needing external validation in relationships from bosses. And I could just never find this stuff in myself. I didn't know how to access it. I couldn't see it. Therefore, I couldn't access it. And getting, uh, getting sober has allowed me to sit with that find that in me and grow that to the point now where you know we joke my husband and I all the time because I you know he says to me I never met anyone that has your confidence Terry we joke about it because he he'll say you're just you know you're a bloody big head you know we'll have a laugh about it but I always say no I just I just got my own back Tom you know I just know that if I'm I know if I can do something and I feel like most things like there's there's rarely something that I'll go, oh no, I can't do that. Like I just always think, well, yeah. I'm just try yeah. it. I'll just try it. <laughs> just try it. And it doesn't matter, you know, it, yeah. if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. You know, what's the worst that could happen? You know, really? again, it, it's that it's changing for me. It was that change of mindset from the the fear of failure, which I think held me back for years. Yes. You know, to now being it's the it's the fear of of not trying something, not regretting it. not trying yeah. something that could be really good. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But exactly. we have, and you're so right when you said before about, you know, we, we live now in this society where um, immediacy, everything is so immediate. You know, you, you can you can put you can put an order for something on Amazon and it arrives that day. You can order a pizza wherever you are. You can get whatever you want right now. Yeah. And we have we, we we've kind of created this world where everyone has this expectation that you can have whatever it wants, whatever you want, whenever you want, and you can if you want to. But if you take a step back from it and say, right, do I need to always have a cigarette? Do I need to always have a drink? Do I need to always have a vape? Do I need to always have a line of coke? Whatever it is, and all these bad behaviours were the things mm-hmm. that I did when I drank, and drinking was the was almost like the, the gateway the to these other yeah. things. Always the catalyst. And yeah. funnily enough, now that I've stopped drinking, I don't do any of those no, either. Same. So, Weird that, isn't it? Yeah. 
again, mm. if you can change change from, and I heard it on a podcast the other day, change from or always, you always want to get something to accepting that you you always wanting to get what you want to actually accepting that you want what you'll get and just flipping that mindset around, you know, so that, that, that you're not constantly craving things and not constantly yeah. chasing that next yeah. dopamine spike. Mm-hmm. And, and again, alcohol free, as you alluded to, it gives you that ability over time to sit there with your emotions, with your feelings, which do become more raw. There's no getting away from that. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast on the way over here and ended up in floods of tears because it started reminding me about, you know, the impact of going alcohol free has had on some of my relationships in life. And, you know, the, 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 some of the, some of the transitions away from my closest group of mates of 24 years from uni. And, and we don't see as much of each other anymore because they still drink and I don't want to be around that stuff. But mm. if you can, and, and I found my, I literally found myself in floods of tears thinking about this and, and I've got an action plan. I worked out in my head as I was driving over here and I know what I'm going to do to action that now and, and, and to try and address that. But to be able to sit there with my emotions, not judge them, let them be what they are for that moment, knowing that this too shall pass, you know, knowing that I can work this through, knowing that, you know, I don't need to reach for a drink to kind of mask or deal with those Mm -hmm. those emotions. And actually, by the time I'd parked up and got out of the car, I'd worked that through in my head and and it had passed and it had gone. And it's like, right. I've learned from that experience. I've learned from that moment, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to use that experience positively. Yeah. And there's a lot of power, I think, in those moments as well. You know, they're, just, oh, they're these like small moments, they're small shifts, um, they're, they're, they're big emotions or small, you know, but I, I do think that there's huge power in them. And when you can hold your own hand through it and, learn to accept like you say you can't control your friendships or your friends or how they view the new you and I I had a similar thing I've got I I I had some friends that I worked with I was extremely close to them I've worked with them every day I parted with them most nights certainly every weekend and over several years that you know that that's a lot of memories that that's a lot of entanglement if you like in 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 yeah. our lives but when I stopped drinking I went on a different path that's just the fact <laughs> I went on a different path they they were drinking still and I I didn't want to drink and so the environments that I could meet up with them in I saw those as dangerous initially because I didn't want to break my sober resolve and so I stayed away but then what happened in that period of staying away is I learned how to redefine fun for myself. I, I accepted that I just actually don't find sitting in a bar for five hours fun anymore. I, I find that boring, to be honest. I could yeah. do that with five hours of my time. Um, you know, every hour in that five hours could bring a lot of other stuff to me. And so whilst I do value those, the, the opportunity to connect, I don't want to connect in those environments because I'm no. forcing myself to sit through what they want and that's not giving me what I want. And I've learned yeah. to put myself into focus. What I want yeah. matters. It's not about yeah. what everybody else wants and how to make everyone else happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I like to make people happy. I'm, I'm a caring person. 
But I don't make people happy before I make myself happy. And I've learned to stand in that power and that's okay. Totally. And I think with those relationships, there is some grieving, I think, sometimes. Because I would say if any of those people picked up the phone and said, I need you, I would probably be there in a flash without, you know, no, there's, there's no, yeah. there's no like, you know, but... I just don't see them very often. And whenever we do see each other, it might be once or twice a year with our kids doing something in the yes. day, like crazy golf or, you know, yes. Christmas market. Um, but I, I guess in some ways there's just a boundary there for me. And I'm I'm happy with that now. But that takes time, right? That takes – I didn't feel like that in six months in. It's six months in, I probably felt sad about it. Like, oh, you know, I'm – that I'm losing that thing or they're thinking this of me and that's making me feel shit. That's gone now because so much of this growth and this self-discovery, this journey into sobriety, you know, if you are listening to the podcasts, uh, picking up the books, trying to immerse yourself in communities, trying to look internally to see how you can be a better person and how you can learn how to prioritize yourself. You're going to have those shifts and those changes, yeah. you know? And so, and so you're going to get to that point. And to be honest, I don't think it's an end goal because I'm sort of four and a half years in now. I still listen to podcasts every day. They're yeah. probably not all sober related because I've moved on from that. To be honest, I I, I, don't, I don't need to listen to sobriety. I love making them, but I don't need to listen to them myself. Yeah. I, I'm obsessed with Diary of a CEO and, you know, the yeah, Ranking yeah, yeah. Strategy podcast or, you know, Stephen Peters learning about him or Sarah Baldwin learning about my nervous system. All this stuff that's just yeah. teaching me about how to live an optimal life essentially, after feeling like I lived many years in a suboptimal state. It's about, you know, and it goes back to what I said before about finding meaning and purpose. And it's about trying to align your your behaviours and your actions with your values. And to do that, you know, you really have to build habits that are congruent with your values, you know, whatever that might be. And, you know, we do, you're right, that those phases we go through with, with, on the alcohol journey are really interesting. I remember listening to Sober Dave on Dapper's podcast. They talked about the emotional separation from alcohol, which comes after, you know, the initial sort of three to six months where you kind of got that physical separation. You've got that, um, uh, you know, association that, that you, you, you move away from around in, in particular places or locations or environments. But then a bit beyond that, I think the sort of six to months to a year period, and I went through it just before Christmas, and I felt I, I felt quite just coming up to a year alcohol free. I remember feel, feeling quite lonely at at one at one particular occasion, and it's that emotional separation I think that you also go through, and I think that takes a lot longer, and that happens much slower um, and continues to evolve you know, over a much, much longer period of time than the than any sort of physical reliance or dependence that you may have with alcohol. And I think what a lot of people have as well is that that FOMO, don't they? That fear of missing out. But what I always try and do is, is you know, sort of reevaluate that that language that I use. And, and, you know, rather than 
judging it as something that you're missing out on or your fear of missing out on play it forward think how it's going to turn out the next day what you're going to feel like and actually then you start to think about jomo the opposite of fomo is jomo the joy of missing out you know the irony being that you're not missing out of anything but the joys you're waking up the next day with a clear head watching the sunrise going for the walk being present with the kids you know, having it, um, energy to go and do exercise, whatever it might be, that joy of knowing that you've missed out on the thing that you thought was going to give you some short-term pleasure, which it might have done, the dopamine spike will do that, but overall happiness, you know, it shouldn't be um, conflated with that that short-term that short-term search for pleasure. And um, interesting enough, that's my podcast, Finding Jomo, Embracing Life Without Alcohol. So. Oh, is it? I love that. I love the Jomo. It's so funny. Whenever I post things about FOMO, Jomo, I always get people on Instagram and they're like, what does that mean? <laughs> you forget, don't you? Yeah, the, I can't just people don't get it. that. I thought, yeah. it was, I thought it was an acronym that everyone understood now. No, I don't, I don't think it is. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it is, you know, but... Like anything, I think sobriety creates a lot of its own language. I think lots of people in this space have certain words, you know, like glimmers. That's another one that I think. I think glimmers is a lovely word as well, which is like the opposite of triggers. What are the glimmers in your day? You know, rather than focusing just on the triggers, what are the glimmers? You know, like you say, did you sit in a garden and see the sun come through the trees? And what did that light look like? And, or, you know, just little little, things The little Little things things. things that you really pick up on because you're living your life in HD. Yeah. And it was almost like alcohol was kind of like the filter to those and it dulled all these things out. Whereas now you see it in HD and you pick up on those tiny little things, whether it's the birds tweeting first thing in the morning, the sun glimpsing through the, you know, through the curtains, the smell of like sort of the, you know, the, the grass at the moment in the morning where it's quite warm, but it's quite wet at night. And it's kind of misty, muggy kind of feeling around in that early autumnal stroke summer coming back. Just yeah. those are the things that you really, you pick up on. And I think for me, one of those, those terms that I'm really embracing at the moment is flourish, flourishing, which I think is a really good way of describing how, how people become and, and what happens to people when they do take a break from alcohol, your life begins to flourish in so many ways. You know, the, 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 the opportunities open up and, you know, the synchronous synchronicities become more and more and the connections become more and more. And every part of your life starts to flourish in many different ways. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment called Flourish, which is really interesting by a guy called Martin Seligman. He's like one of the sort of um, most well-known positive psychologists. And, you know, he, he, he talks about this idea of, 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 of sort of your world flourishing and, you, you know, your life, you know, getting this flourishing, this nature of flourish. Mm, yeah. And I, yeah, I agree. I agree with all of that, resonate with all of that. But I'm conscious that, you know, when we're talking, you know, you're quite a way in. I'm a way into this journey. And yeah. some people will be like 10 days in thinking, I don't feel any of that. Right. I don't mm. think, I don't feel any of that, Terry and Rich. You know, you're just making mm. me feel bad because I yeah. just feel like this is all really shit. What would you, what advice would you give to somebody who was in that? state of mind that either regardless of the number of days to be honest but either they have not quite managed to unlock looking at things from a different perspective or you know they're very new in the journey perhaps and at the moment all they're doing is feeling tired and craving sugar (laughs) yeah yeah what would you say 
those other habits that you replace or those addictions that you replace alcohol with when, when you go alcohol free. I, yeah, I think a couple of things, I guess, really. I think, first of all, I would say that it accepts as early as you can that it's not a lineage journey. It's not a straight line up from point A to B. It goes up and down. There's peaks and troughs. There's peaks and troughs in everything from triggers, from desires to drink again, from emotions, from relationships, from connections, from from everything in life. You know, there, there are peaks and troughs. So so learn to, if you can, learn to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is, is the piece. One of the things that I've, one of the mantras that I've, I've sort of lived by, um, along with sort of leaning into the fear, which, you know, I alluded to before. Um, I think it's really important as well to not beat yourself up if you think you've cracked it and then you have a drink. You know, it, alcohol is a highly addictive, toxic sub- substance and it is so ever present around us. So there's no wonder why people struggle and people have blips and they go back to it. I mean, I had, you know, when I said before, I felt lonely at Christmas. I ended up going out with my mates and I had a couple of beers and a couple of gin and tonics and I had a great night and a good time with them. But the next day I felt like absolute crap. And it reminded me of all the reasons why I stopped in the first place. And it was almost kind of like I knew it. I, it, I needed it. It was almost like that reinforcement of all those reasons that I'd stopped in the first place. And having come a year on, it was like, ah, right, I just needed that reinforcement. That to happen, that was meant to happen. And so I didn't beat myself up about it. I don't count my days. And I know some people like that. I always found it a little bit like... um, you know, it's kind of, I sort of associated it with like doing keepy ups in the park as a kid. And if you drop the ball when you're on like 99, you're like, Oh God, you beat yourself up and you start from zero again. It's like, it's not like that. All that hard work that you've done doesn't just dissipate and end. So don't beat yourself up and just think, screw it. I can't do this. I'm going to go back to drinking all the time again, stick with it. And then finally, I'd say, the most important thing really is is around connection and and find your tribe you know find whatever it is or whoever it is that is going to have your corner that's going to support you whether that is following people on social media whether that is listening to podcasts whether that is um going to a new local group you know some of the local groups that are starting up i've started an alcohol free running group near me for example um, you know, seeking out these pods of, of individuals and people who have a similar sort of life, a, a, a sort of view on life and lifestyle mm. approach now and, and just sort of immerse yourself in that and, and lean into the opportunities that come from it to explore things that you perhaps wouldn't have done before. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm really into spirituality and mindfulness now, and it's totally not something that my mates would be into. And I wouldn't even entertain talking to them about it because they, they'd just take the piss and they'd just, you know, think I was turning into some kind of crazy, you know, spiritual guy, which I probably am in many ways, but that's absolutely fine. You know, I'm comfortable with that. Um, so yeah, so find, find your tribe, you know, find the people that are going to be in your corner, that are going to back you and that are going to support you. And once you do, you know, those opportunities and those doors really start to open up to you and it starts to become a hell of a lot easier a journey to go on. But it is a journey, you know, and it's 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 not, as I said before, it's not linear. It's not just like that straight line A to B, you know, and and people say, oh, when I get there, it's like, well, get where? Mm. Getting where? You know, it's not it's not a single end destination. You know, at the end of the day, it's 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 life and you've got to go through these challenges and, and and 
you know, happiness resides in the struggle, the struggle being the, the space between where you are and where you want to get to. And, and so embrace that struggle, the bit in the middle, mm. because that's the stuff that builds resilience. That's the stuff that happens that builds mindfulness. That's the stuff that happens that builds, you know, better grasp of, you know, your own emotions and your own beliefs and your own values. You know, that's where the good stuff happens within that struggle. Yeah. So throw yourself into that space and and yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's that's such yeah such a great way to end because um, I when I first decided not to drink, I I treated it like a big new exciting project, <laughs> um, and I just wanted to learn, you know, and I felt really hungry for that learning, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed listening to podcasts. I enjoyed reading the books. I enjoyed finding things out about myself I think looking back now I learned how to fall in love with the process of it and then everything else just kind of started to fall into place for me as as that time thing built up you know and I moved forward but I do think a really big part of my own success was learning to cultivate the enthusiasm for the process of being so rather than being like okay what you know what do I need to do to get to get to that point and I do think people do approach sobriety in that way and it's about kind it's about it's about sort of gently nudging people to well actually how can you explore getting excited about doing this stuff every day like what does that look like what would you need to think to fall in love with the process of being sober every day and 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 you know and and quite get that enthusiasm for it because yeah. if you focus on like the box ticking like okay I need to do this 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 but but just tell me when is it like six months is it this is it then yeah. like, yeah. that shouldn't actually really be part of your desire or journey it's about what can I do every day that helps me and supports me and makes me feel good about this process and that makes me enjoy it and then yeah. you know it, you'll just start having weekends where you're like, oh, I didn't think about drinking once this weekend. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. How can I go from like being the person that would literally stand in front of people and say, I love wine so much. I'm never going to stop. That was me. Uh, to yeah. you know, a few months into not drinking really kind of loving this new, okay, fair enough, there are wobbles and, you know, difficulties and challenges and ups and downs and all the things, weird feelings. But, wow, I've, I've actually, I've just realised it's Sunday night and I've not thought, thought about drinking all weekend this weekend, you know, and that being yeah. like however yeah. many months in. But not a, not a great deal of time, really, when you think about how long we spend training drinking, ourselves to love yeah. drinking. I mean, it's, you know, you're talking months really months to be honest it it goes back to that thing I said before about that immediacy you know that desire to have everything at our fingertips immediately and and you know we I think we fall into the trap we all fall into the trap of um we overestimate what we can achieve in sort of a year but we underestimate what we could achieve in 10 years so I think it's kind of again having that sort of longer term view of it and not expecting things to be a bed of roses immediately and 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 being willing to go through that that period of pain and challenge and uncomfortable uncomfortability and and you know the 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 analogy of I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy of the um 
the, the buffalo on the plains, you know, when the storm comes, the buffalo and the cows on the plains, the cows always run away from the storm. And however, the buffalo run into the storm. And as the cows are running away from the storm, the storm's always catching them up and it's always kind of over the top of them and they're always just getting wet. Whereas the buffalo run through it and deal with the pain of the storm for a short period. And then when they get out the back end of the storm, they've got all this lush green pasture to enjoy because they've gone through that stormy period mm. and they benefit from the bit that's out the back end of it. Yeah, I haven't heard of that, but yeah, love that. Have you know that? Oh, it's quite a famous one. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to check it out. But I think you're right. I think like you say that, you know, the reward is in getting through the pain. Like that's where the reward lives. You know, you can't yeah. just go to a shop and buy reward. You've got to go through the struggle and to come through the other side and to have your own back and just be like, wow, I, you know, I managed to deal with that thing. Okay. I might've wanted to drink, but I didn't and I dealt with it. And now I feel really good for that. You know, that's the reward. Like just do that enough times. <laughs> and say it out, say it out loud, you know, give, give, we don't, we don't give ourselves enough pats on the back. We compliment yeah. other people and we say things out really loud. And what happens when we compliment people out loud is that they respond really positively to it, but we don't do that to ourselves. Mm. You know, we don't give ourselves the right to, um, you know, to feel like we deserve mm. to, to do something or be something or have happiness. So, you know, kind of, I guess it's an affirmation kind of thing, but, you know, say it out loud. If you're sat in the car by yourself thinking something, you know, say something positive yourself. You say, no, actually, I deserve to have the life that I want to live. I deserve to have the happiness and I'm willing, I'm willing to put the work in to get what I think I deserve, you know, and, and, and when you say it out loud, it's almost like you're holding yourself accountable because you can't lie to yourself. You know, you can't say something out loud, try saying something out loud to yourself, which is a lie. It's really bloody difficult. And you're going to sound really stupid because you're lying to yourself. Yeah. I'm trying to think now, what could I say out loud? But yeah. <laughs> getting distracted, getting distracted here. Uh, uh, Rich, um, where can we find you and all the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, so so kind of this time last year, I made, I made a promise to myself when I was a bit lacking identity that I was going to do two things, and that was share the joys and benefits of taking a break from alcohol and and running the two things that have been most transformational for me in in, in building a more positive lifestyle and mental and physical well-being so my funnily enough my instagram handle is running dry underscore rich which is two y's in dry that's my personal account and then clean break at clean break brewing is um uh, is the beer instagram page um finding jomo podcast is the podcast um and then my alcohol free running group for anyone who's in and around leeds who might be interesting is running dry again two wise underscore leads so yeah so those are the multitude of instagram accounts that i have which i struggle to, to, <laughs> struggle to you must be a busy man I tend to just cross-populate so stuff that i've content i put on one i put on the others yeah <laughs> Tagging I, my own, I tagged my own instagram accounts and then reshare them how sad is that no i understand the juggle yeah it's um sometimes it's spinning a lot of plates <laughs> Oh God! Um, and I, I i feel the same yeah um oh it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for sharing your story and bringing all this wonderful wisdom and insights and yeah i thank you so much for your time and thank you to, for having me. yeah pleasure and thank you to everybody else 
thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.